Here is a special message from today's guest, Kirsten Keach. Hi, everybody. It's me, Kirsten Keach, and I wanted to take a minute to invite you to my upcoming free five-day challenge called How to Meet and Keep a Great Guy. So if you are out there struggling to find that relationship of your dreams, this challenge is for you. In this challenge, I am going to teach you how to identify commitment-phobic men, men who are not ready for a real relationship. I'm going to teach you how to get them out of your life, and then I'm going to teach you how to identify commitment-ready, marriage-ready men who really want to be with you, who are going to love you the way you deserve, and I'm going to teach you what those men are looking for in a woman. You don't want to miss this training. Go to my website, manifestyourlove.com, and sign up today. I look forward to seeing you in the challenge. Who gave me permission to do this? <laughs> oh my God. Sometimes we're going to laugh and sometimes we're going to cry. That's just the way it goes. Welcome to Stupid Wise Girl, the podcast for everyone and anyone who is seeking their purpose, who wants to change but might feel stuck. Our title is a perfect example of why you should not judge a book by its cover. Jackie aims to help everyone, not just females. Learn to dig deep into yourself in every episode and get real with what you need as we figure out exactly what that is. Whether it's a relationship or a career, we as individuals make stupid mistakes, although our wiser higher self always knew better. We must get to a place where we can accept our stupid and move forward into our wise. Here is your host, Jackie Minsky. Hey, lovies. Welcome, welcome. Hey, guys. I'm here doing part two with Kirsten Keach. And thank you so much for coming back and doing this with me. Of course. I'm so happy to be here with you. Part one did really, really well. And I'm really glad that it got as many hits as it did and people actually wrote in and we're going to go through a list of their questions and hopefully you can answer some of the questions on today's episode. And I hope I can give you the answers that you were looking for. So to all the listeners, what we're going to do is we're going to start with the simple questions and we're going to build up. So I'm going to start with a question that actually um, one of my guy friends wrote in and wanted, it's something simple, basic, but What is the best way for a guy to approach a girl? Wow, that is a really simple but complicated question. I think that it really depends on the circumstance that you're in. So uh, there's a couple of things that I think um, make it easier for men to approach women. It's really hard to approach women in groups because it can be kind of scary. Um, women feel safer in groups, but men feel more intimidated by groups of women. But if you're going to approach a woman, I think it's good to start with making eye contact and smiling so that they know that you're friendly and just saying something really easy. Please don't use the pickup line, (laughs) but something like kind of like noticing the surroundings, like, Hey, how are you? You know, it's a beautiful day or something really easy. And then you can read the woman's response before you jump into, you know, Hey, I saw you across the room and I think you're beautiful. Sometimes for women, that's a little too forward. So you want to ease your way in to a conversation. I love that you said that. I'm going to touch up on that. So 
here's the thing I've noticed in this specific guy friend, when he does approach women, it's always based on their appearance. Mm-hmm. So as you just said, not to pretty much don't pick them up or don't approach a woman based on her appearance. That might be too straightforward. Well, you can, if you think they're attractive and you want to talk to them, that's fine, but use language that's not just focused on them being beautiful, right? Because when we hear that, when you hear that, Jackie, when a man does that to you, how do you feel? Yeah, you feel like he's in it for one thing. (laughs) Right? He wants to do it with you. (laughs) And if you're in the 7-Eleven, it's super awkward. So, (laughs) but if you say something just about the environment or the circumstance or something like that, it's more easy. It makes you feel like, oh, this guy's just interested in talking to me. Let me talk to him for a minute. And then from there, you can kind of go into something more. I do have two questions that kind of relate to episode one, which I'm going to get into now. So how does someone know which energy they do better in referring to the masculine and feminine energy? How does an individual know which energy is actually their energy? What's their core energy? Yes. Um, well, there are actually some quizzes that you can do online that really help you tap into this. I can give you the links at the end, but I think there's a couple of things that you can use to really figure it out. Um, one is, are you more likely to lead with emotion or logic? Okay. And a lot of women are super logical and a lot of men also have feelings, but what are you more likely to lead with? When you're fighting with your partner, are you the logical person that's trying to solve the problem or are you the person that's expressing how you feel? Because feminine energy people lead with feeling, masculine energy people lead with logic. So that's a good way to start to get to know what your core energy might be. Okay. I love that. That was so good. Okay. So the second question, do you think we become or adapt to an energy based on past experiences? Meaning maybe there's a woman who started thinking logically based on her experiences, but maybe in her core, she might have been a feminine energy before. Yes. I think that a lot of feminine energy women develop a masculine front because it's not safe to be feminine. Feminine energy is vulnerable. And so a lot of times we become more logical. We become more assertive. We become more masculine to keep ourselves safe. Now, that doesn't change who you are at the core. That changes how you're presenting yourself in the world. So you kind of have to break through that to figure out what your core energy is when you're getting into a relationship. Because if you get into a relationship based on your coping or how you've learned to survive the world, eventually you're going to falter because you're going to want to break that down at some point. And it's not true to who you are at your core. I agree. Right. Yeah. Okay. So now we're going to get into all the fun stuff. And you and I actually discussed this. So this is a question I wrote and I wanted to get a little into because I got a lot of questions similar to this topic. So I decided to put it into one question. And it's actually your favorite term, my favorite term. Let's discuss breadcrumbing, which for Ooh, any- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> our favorite one. So who, to anyone listening who's not familiar with the term, that is someone who gives you just enough attention to keep you interested or around. And how does someone know 
when someone is breadcrumbing them versus genuinely not being ready for a relationship. How do you know when someone is breadcrumbing you? (laughs) You know, right? Which the first one is, is you're having to ask. If you're wondering, especially if you're a woman dating a man, if you're wondering if they're interested, they're not that interested. Okay. (laughs) When a man is interested in you, he pursues you and you know it. And so I think that that's one way you can tell. Another way that you can tell if someone is breadcrumbing is if you feel insecure inside about it um, more than you do normally. Um, That's a good way to tell. And then another way you can tell men or women, everybody, women breadcrumb just as much, if not more than men, by the way. So we are as equally accountable for being breadcrumbers. But you can tell if someone tells you they're not really interested in something long term, if they're just looking for friends, if they're not sure where they're going with their life, anything like that, they're not interested in something serious. You need to take that at face value. Okay. Because that's, that's the truth. They're breadcrumbing, which actually takes me to my next question. When someone says they are not ready for a relationship, is there really such a thing? Are we ever ready for a relationship or is that an excuse when we're not interested in a specific person? Um, I think that those can both be true. I think that there are people who are really not ready for a relationship with anyone. And they're very clear about that. I've noticed this a lot with men specifically. Um, And they will say, I'm really focused on starting a new tech company right now, or I'm doing this right now, and I don't really want a girlfriend. And and they won't get a girlfriend. A year or two later, they'll still be casually dating and screwing around, right? Because that's what they're ready for. And sometimes when people say they're not looking for a relationship, they're not looking for a relationship with you. So either one of those things can be true. So it's, and and this is something I really want to say to anyone listening. Um, If someone does breadcrumb or say this to you, it's not your responsibility. It's not your position to want to fix or change or stick around to persuade or change this person's mind. Do you agree? I 100% agree. And I think that in dating, we try to do a lot of that. We pretend like we're a therapist and we try to analyze the other person, what's happening with them and what their motivation is, right? He didn't call back because he's really busy with this or he's scared of a real relationship or he's still hurt from his ex. But none of those things really matter. If he's interested and available, he'll pursue you, right? It's, it's that simple. Yes, I agree. Now, do you believe we attract people at the level we are at or do you believe um, in the one and soulmates? I, I'm me personally, like what I've noticed, and I kind of feel like it's a mixture of both, meaning mm-hmm. you do attract people at the level you're at and to maybe attract your soulmate or the one you have to be the best version of yourself. Yourself comes first. I agree that a great relationship comes when you are being your best self, 100%. Um, And I'm a little bit different. And I think you can have more than one soulmate. You can have more than one great relationship come in that totally changes you as a person and helps you grow and develop and become even more amazing. So I don't think it's so cut and dry. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Do you think 
we should date multiple people. I'm sorry if I'm just like re- going down the list, no, but there's so right. many questions <laughs> that there's, and you know, we can get into each question in depth and some of them I w- we will get into, but some of them are just so good. I just want to keep going. So the next question from is, do you think we should date multiple people at once or should we find someone we like and try to build slowly with them over time? Uh, I think you should date multiple people at once. And here's why. I call this opening up your dating funnel. So if you are looking for a serious relationship and you're wanting to find someone that you can potentially marry, start a family with, I think it's better if you date more than one person. And the reason I think it's better is because you know that you have an abundance of choices, that you're not in scarcity land about men or women, and you're choosing the best one for you. It can be really easy when you're just dating one person to look over some of their flaws that are really red flags because you feel like you can't get anyone better. You're not going to do better. There isn't anyone else out there. So if you give yourself a lot of options, because there are a lot of options out there, you can be really choosy about who you choose to commit to. Oh, that was such a good answer. And it takes me right into the next few questions. Um, So with the red flags, when dating or in a committed relationship, how does one know a relationship that's running its course or it's coming to an end? Well, I think that, um, and I teach this in my program, one of the best things to do before you start dating is to make a really clear list of your non-negotiables. What are the things that are hard no's for you in a relationship? So for example, if you know that you can't date someone who is a smoker, if you know that someone with kids is just not going to work with your lifestyle, if you know that someone who works night is really not going to work with your lifestyle. If you know that someone who doesn't like your family, right, that isn't going to work for you. If you start out with that list before you start dating, it's like a huge safety net for you. And let me tell you why. Because here's what happens. A lot of us set this big vision or intention for the person we want to be with, especially more spiritually minded women or men. And then we start dating someone and they meet all of our yes boxes, but they check off one of our non-negotiables and we make up this story about why it's okay that they check that non-negotiable, that they have that thing that we're, we really don't want, right? Because we feel so good that they meet all of our other criteria. And what happens is that one thing that you knew from the beginning was a no for you is going to come back and bite you in the ass like major. It's going to cause you huge problems in the future. And it's probably going to be the thing that ends up ending the relationship. So one non-negotiable is worth 30 things in your yes column. So it's really important to know that before you go in, because once you're in and all of your hormones and your brain chemistry and everything is firing like crazy, it's really hard to um, say no when you need to. Wow. That's, that actually answered one of our questions. Uh, when looking for a partner, is there a certain list we should have or should we choose partners based on connection or should be a mixture of both? Because with some people, it's black and white. I think you need to have a little bit of both, but they absolutely need to not check off any of your no boxes. And then you still need to have a connection with them. But I think we get confused because chemistry isn't what makes a great relationship long-term. Compatibility is. So you need compatibility and then you need some chemistry with it. But if you go just on chemistry, you, my friend, are in for a nightmare. 
though. I love this because I actually asked a previous guest and I'm going to ask you, this is, this is one of my favorite questions. And I, I'm, I'm going to ask you because I, (laughs) you're going to have the best answer for me. Do you think chemistry is something you can build over time? 100%. Yes. Okay. Yes. I think you need a little bit of it. You need enough of a spark, but chemistry builds. I mean, if you're doing it right, if you're really, you know, using polarity, which is the feminine masculine energy thing, the more you hold your side, the more chemistry will build. Okay. The next question, let me just pull it back up. How can a woman in her feminine energy ask someone she is dating for exclusivity? Um, I think it's a really good boundary to have is that you need exclusivity before you have sex. So questions beforehand. (laughs) This this is so good. So I'm like, am I reading your mind? Am I reading your list from over here? (laughs) Yeah, it's happening. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's amazing. It's amazing. Um, So I think that if you're dating for a serious relationship, you need to exclude establish exclusivity before you have sex. And I know that sounds old school, but there's a lot of reasons for that, which I can go into if you want, but that'll take a minute. Um, And I think a good way to have that conversation is, you know, when the guy is making a move and you things are moving that direction, you can tell them that, you know, you don't feel comfortable being intimate with them until you're exclusive and committed to each other. And then, you know, he can choose when he makes that move. But that way you're not putting yourself at risk of getting overly bonded before the relationship is ready for that. And you're going to spare yourself a lot of heartbreak and the guy's going to respect you a lot more. So it's a really good thing to do. Yes. And, and I try to tell my girlfriends that all the time. And you know what? <laughs> because of the modern hookup society that it is now sometimes people look at me like I'm crazy and I'm like no you actually go much further with that kind of mentality so I definitely agree there so let's say a woman is already in a committed relationship with somebody and let's say she wants marriage and it's been x amount of time with the person she's with and let's say her spouse isn't ready for the next step or a serious commitment should she leave and find someone who is or stick it out and wait for her partner since they're already in an exclusive situation and they have spent time together okay so now your boyfriend and girlfriend, and it's been a year or two years, and you want him to propose. He's not proposing. Do you pull the plug on the relationship, or do you wait it out because you and him have invested those two years into each other? 100% draw a line. Because here's what's going to happen if you don't. It's never going to happen, right? So I wouldn't waste too much time. I mean, you want to be reasonable about how much time you're spending in a relationship with what you expect. But if he's not moving towards a commitment and he's not interested in that, he's not ever going to be. So you need to give him, not an ultimatum, but you need to be really clear that I want this moving forward and you want that or you don't. Because what's going to happen if you spend another two years with this guy and he doesn't ever propose, right? You could have spent that two years building a relationship with someone else who wants to marry you, who wants to have a family with you. And do you think, see, this this is such a black and white area that I love that we can openly discuss this. Um, Do you think because of how advanced and easy it is to meet new people that we have become possibly a selfish society and instead of fixing relationships like our grandparents did in the past, we resort to something new and easier because easy has become our new normal. 
I think sometimes we do. Yeah. I, I think that what we expect out of a relationship is very different than what our grandparents expected, right? My grandparents expected someone to help them be secure and survive in the world and build a family with. It was much more survival-based than I'm than me, right? I'm looking more for love, and that's a very different and much more fickle thing. So, yes, that's my answer to that. I really love that. I, I love your answers, but I really mm-hmm. love that. Back in the day, and this is something I really want to touch up on, it was about surviving where now mm-hmm. it's almost like people are living. And there's a difference between survive, surviving and living your life. Mm-hmm. And there's a difference between choosing love, choosing someone that you're in love with and building love over 50 years, right? That's a very different thing. It's a very different mentality. Should people live together before marriage? Is it a good idea, bad idea? I don't have a clear yes or no on that. I think every situation is different. I think if you're a woman who really wants to get married and you want to get engaged, that you should wait until you're engaged before you move in together. And what happens if, let's say, you've never lived together before the engagement or before marriage and you move in together and you're not compatible in a living space. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a big risk. So you have to weigh that out for yourself um, before you decide to get married. Does that tie into the the non-negotiable list? I mean. Well, and some things you can and some things you can't. I think that's part of it. But I also think a lot of it comes down to closeness and distance. Like if one partner wants to be together all the time and the other partner really doesn't, or if you have a hard time just tolerating tolerating each other for long periods of time. Um, you kind of figure that stuff out when you move in together. But, you know, it depends on how your relationship is set up beforehand. Some people spend a ton of time at their partner's place, even when they don't live together. So it's kind of a case-by-case situation. And this is just my opinion. And I've been reading so many books. I've been watching so many videos. I've been trying to get into the psychology of relationships kind of just for myself because now I'm kind of dating and I'm trying to figure it out and there's no right or wrong way. It's different for everybody, but I feel like, and this is something I read and I actually want to say on today's episode, men do better with desire. So I think that when it's a new relationship and a woman makes herself too available, it leaves very little room for desire and it almost makes her too available. And I know some people will disagree with me because some people say, well, we hit it off right away and we wanted to spend all the time together, but I still feel that a woman should keep her independence and a little bit of mystery and not Mm -hmm. spending all her time at someone's place all the Mm -hmm. time. Because that will fill out the flame. I agree with you. I mean, I think it's good to go slow. I think it's good to maintain your own life. You don't want to like ignore the guy or be not responsive or be a breadcrumber. <laughs> but I think it's good to let it build, let there be fire. You know, I mean, you have your whole rest of your lives to have sex. So take it slow and have fun and let him miss you a little bit. You actually said this in the beginning of 
part one, where a woman is the moral compass for a relationship. So I feel Mm -hmm. like it's really important for anyone listening to understand that we as women, especially women that know what we want, if we want a certain outcome, we have to draw certain lines and boundaries. Mm -hmm. And I think- And I think a lot of women are afraid to do that. I think we're afraid to do that because we're afraid to lose the guy. But I think it should get to a point where a guy's afraid to lose a woman like you. Well, and I think a lot of women try to be who they think men want. They want to please their man. And so they try to kind of become who he is instead of just being who they are. But what's really attractive is a woman who's in love with herself first, not to be selfish or narcissistic, but a woman who really loves herself, who knows who she is and knows what her boundaries are is extremely sexy. I'm just going to bring this up briefly, but if you take a look at social media and you even look at plastic surgery and what women are doing to their bodies these days Mm -hmm. to try to fit a certain image what they think men want it's it's just becoming you know where is the self-love if you're trying to look or be someone you're not you know Mm -hmm. and that's really the issue that's that's happening so I'm really glad you and I can have this open conversation hopefully someone listening whether it's a young girl or a woman it doesn't matter what age that you really really learn to love yourself first and not be afraid to lose a guy you know, if you lose him, you don't, the main thing is not to lose yourself. Yep. I agree. Now, as we're talking about, you know, society and social media, take, it will take me to the next question. Hooking up has become easy thanks to technology. And I've actually read books, as I've mentioned on this, but do you think people who cheat, cheat because there's insecurities with themselves or has cheating become a harmless sport? Because it's just become so easy to act, have access to people. Well, I think plenty of people cheated before the internet. <laughs> so <laughs> it gets true. <laughs> like, right? Like, I mean, and a lot of affairs start at work, like a huge percentage of affairs start at work. So even before there was computers and easy access to sex, there was plenty of people going to work every day and meeting someone to have an affair with. So I, I don't think that. Um, that the internet is the responsible party and the ease of people having affairs. Um, maybe it's increased it a little bit. I'm not a statistician in this area, but um, I think that people cheat because they have problems that they're not dealing with. There's something wrong in their relationship and they're not addressing it. And so they cheat or they're in a circumstance where their partner is, you know, terminally ill or some other thing where they can't really be available to them anymore in the way that they were before. And so they go elsewhere because they so need to get there. Do so you that. think cheating is a part of a relationship issue or a personal insecurity issue? I think it's, that's complicated. I think it's both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I actually read um, a book. Let me just pull it up because I always read just to understand a man's psychology because that can be a whole other episode and a complication. Yes. Itself. So the book is called The Eminology and it's by Tyrese and Rev Run. And Tyrese used to be a womanizer uh, before he met his current wife. And he actually says in this book that his cheating personally came from his own insecurities 
And sometimes when men are insecure with themselves, it doesn't, it doesn't mean every man, but certain men, most men, when they cheat, there's an insecurity within themselves that they haven't been able to fix. So what they do is they try to get as many women as possible to feel better about themselves. So it's almost an instant gratification thing, but it's not so much just men. I feel like maybe women do it also with insecurities they see how many guys they can get or it's an instant gratification of love in the moment because sex is really an exchange of hormones and emotions and in that moment you're close to somebody and you're you're satisfying something that clearly there's a void there and someone that's been let's say cheated on do you believe once a cheater always a cheater or No, I don't believe that. I mean, I've worked with couples who have done really great infidelity recovery. And I think that it's 100% possible to learn from the experience of what happened and become stronger as a couple. But you have to know your partner has to really be able and willing to put the work in to make that happen. Um, So I, I don't know what the statistics are on how many people who cheat end up cheating again. But I don't think it's just because you cheated once means you're going to cheat again. If you do it right. And I also think it's important that anyone who's trying to recover from cheating, especially the person who's been cheated on, if you make the decision to move forward, you can't bring that up again. Oh, well, you cheated and then you open that wound up again. Oh, you mean like use it as like a a dagger in a fight? Yeah. No, I don't think that's helpful, but I think that infidelity recovery is, is not black and white. And so when the partner who was cheated on starts to feel insecure, a lot of times they'll go back to worrying if the other person is cheating again or remembering those feelings. And really what that is, is them saying that they're feeling insecure in their relationship and that the couple needs to do something together to feel secure again. So I don't think it's something that you can um, never bring up again. And I don't think you shouldn't ever bring it up again. But I agree with you that it's not something you just want to throw out as a knife in a fight. So I, I, you know what, it's not bringing it up. That's the thing. That's not them getting past it. The reason that they keep bringing it up is because they don't feel secure. So, and, and I'm not going to punish either person for that. And so the couple's real work is to feel secure together again. The person who cheated needs to help the cheaty, I don't know what you call that person, to feel secure and connected in the relationship again. So every time that it's brought up, it's just an opportunity for them to rebuild security together. So I don't think that it's a bad thing to continue bringing up and talking about. I think if there's been infidelity, you should definitely go see a couples therapist um, because of a couple of things. One, it's going to help you recover much more easily and not sweep it under the rug. And two, you're going to figure out what it was that led to the infidelity so that it doesn't happen again. Um, So that is one area where I definitely think you need to go get professional help for sure. Which will take me to my next question uh, because it's becoming a thing now it's called open relationships. It's people mm-hmm. that they're in a relationship, but if their partner chooses to step out of the relationship on a so-called animal instinct, it doesn't take away from the emotional connection they might have or a spiritual mm-hmm. connection that they might have. Do you believe in open relationships? What are your views on them? I know some people who've done open relationships and done them really well. Um, 
and prefer that. And I know a lot of people who do really well in monogamy, but I think what's important is that you make the decision for yourself, not because it's what your partner wants. So not what your partner wants. I I wish we could just highlight that and keep replaying it. um, I was actually watching a Steve Harvey clip because I love his views on dating. I don't know Mm -hmm. if you're familiar with his view on dating. No, I don't. I don't know. So briefly, he has what he calls a 90-day rule. But Mm. it's not a 90-day rule where you count the 90 days or you tell the guy about this probation period, as he calls it. But in these 90 days, you get to see a potential partner for what they are, who they are. And I guess you go through the list that you and I were discussing, the non-negotiables, you know, who they are as a person before you decide if this is a good match for you or not, or especially should you sleep with them or not, depending on how much they invest into you. And on one of his episodes, this was really funny. uh, A lady came by, uh, I have to pull up her name, but this was so funny. She came and she was in an open relationship and she lives with her boyfriend, but her and her boyfriend have an open relationship. Now, Steve Harvey has a very old school mentality on dating, meaning he feels that when a guy meets the right one or when the right one gives the proper standards to make a man man up, he will man up. So when Steve Harvey heard about the open relationship, he Mm -hmm. looked at her and he was like, if you're in an open relationship, that means the guy is still not sold and doesn't believe you are worthy of a commitment. So he has a very old school mentality on it. Uh, the more I'm, I guess the more I'm becoming conscious, I, I'm also conflicted. I'm, I'm, I have to say I'm very conflicted myself on my views because some days I feel like if I ever get it, I've become so secure, me personally, that it's, it's, I don't know if it's scary delusional because I've become so secure where it's like, let's say I enter a situation and I love Will Smith and Jada because of this reason. I've become so secure that it's almost like if I enter a spiritual, emotional union, let's say, and the person I'm with, let's say, cheats on an animal instinct, would I forgive them? And it's almost like I'm afraid I might but I'm afraid that I, because I might, it might open the door and allow them to keep doing so. But I've become so secure in myself that it's like, I'm more looking for that life partner instead of that perfect conditional societal relationship, if that makes sense with what I'm saying. So I'm very, yeah. So I'm very conflicted in this gray area and the new norm nowadays because I have the old school morals and values that I've become so secure that it's like, you know, so it's, it's, it's definitely a conflicting topic. I think it is. And it's, I think it's really hard to decide how you're going to respond when you're not in that situation yet. Yeah. A lot of things influence it. Like if you have two little kids at home, you might make a different decision than if you didn't. Right. Yes. Yes. So it's so, it's so gray. Um, Probably one of the most gray areas there is in dating and relationships, for sure. Yeah, and that and that's probably the time you have to go through that list, and you know you have to see are they, this is where you would use, let's say, a scale. You would have to weigh out the pros and cons of the relationship, of the connection, of the person, and do you have more bad or do you have more good? Right. 
And is this something you can continue? Do you feel safe enough long-term? Is this how you want to be loved? There's a lot of questions you have to ask yourself in that scenario. Um, And then everybody responds to that really differently. So it's so hard to predict the future on that one. Also, I really think that it depends what kind of affair it is. Is it an affair where it was like a one night stand or was it an affair with the same person over time? Because I feel like an affair with one person over time becomes its own relationship. That's a totally different kind of cheating than a one night stand. 100% agree. I, yes, it's a completely different thing. If you are calculated and you spend time building a relationship with someone else, than if you get drunk in Vegas and have a one night stand, they're both super hurtful to your partner. So I don't think you should do either one, but there's a big difference between them. Let me pull up another question. Do you have any questions in the meantime, while I'm pulling up the rest of them? Um, I don't have any major questions off the top of my head. You know, actually, something I've been getting a lot of from clients this week is I've been getting a lot of questions about rejection um, and how to handle rejection in dating. So if you want, we could talk about that for a minute. Which is crazy because that was one of the next questions literally on my list. It says, how do we know if someone is genuinely into us versus wasting our time? So that will bring us into rejection, which we totally get into. I think if you're asking the question, they're not super into you. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's that kind of cut and dry. I mean, some women who are really anxious might get worried if a guy doesn't text them back instantly all the time. But in general, when you're into someone and they're into you, you feel it, you know it, it's, it's happening, right? Um, I think that one of the biggest problems with dating is rejection. And I get a lot of questions about, you know, are people calling me because they say, Kirsten, I just took this huge risk. I opened myself up. I went out with this guy and it didn't work out, right? For whatever reason, he hit one of my non-negotiables or he decided I asked him where we were going and he said he didn't think we were going anywhere or for whatever reason, right? I got the girl just stopped talking to me. She ghosted me. They get rejected. And a lot of people get really upset and disappointed when this happens. Like, let's be real. It doesn't feel good to get rejected. But I think that rejection and your ability to handle rejection is an indicator of how well you're going to do in a relationship. Because yes, you get rejected when you're dating. And yes, you should keep dating anyways, because one time you're going to get it right. But here's the kicker with that. When you get into a long-term love relationship with someone, you are going to feel rejected and disappointed a million times in that relationship. Okay. And there's a rejection that are, you can tolerate and rejection that you can't, but that's, that's a realistic part of being in relationship with someone. You're going to make yourself vulnerable. And sometimes it's going to go over really well. And sometimes it's not. So if you can learn how to handle rejection really well while you're dating, you're going to be that much better off when you get into a relationship. Um, I also think that rejection will build your character, meaning if let's say you do get rejected, the more you get rejected, and, and that word is just so ugly, <laughs> rejection. Yeah. I almost wish we changed the wording, like it just didn't work out. But rejection, such a terrible word, but rejected is the feeling that you feel when it just yeah. doesn't work out, right? So, <laughs> but I feel like 
it should build our character, meaning like, okay, it, it almost can. So me personally, if I've ever been rejected, and I'm sure we've all have, if there was a situation where I've been rejected or it didn't work out with someone, I take it as how secure am I? Because if I dwell on this rejection too long, it means I'm insecure and I'm letting their opinion affect me. If right. I just see it as, okay, well, it didn't work out. Maybe it could just be a friendship. Then that shows me I'm secure with myself. I can move on mm-hmm. and try again with someone else. So I think rejection is important because if you dwell on it for too long, there's something inside of you you need to really take a look at. Why is this person's opinion or why is this person matter so much to you? And, and how come their approval is so necessary? I agree. And I think it's kind of like this. If you're not getting rejected, you're not taking risks. And I think that's true in life too. And you know this because you're a woman who's building a business, but if you're not failing, you're not trying enough, right? Because you're going to try 10 things that work and you're going to try 15 things that don't. And it's part of the process of growing and taking risks. And in a good relationship, you are taking risks. So that's why I think rejection is not a bad thing. It means you put yourself out there, you tried something, and you took a risk. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I know it's hard. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely hard. Kirsten said earlier, definitely make a list of the person you're looking for, your non-negotiables, what's important to you Mm -hmm. versus things you could possibly overlook. And Mm -hmm you know, build the connection over time and tell them more about your free challenge that's coming up. Give them more information how to reach you. Yeah, so I have a free challenge called the How to Meet and Keep a Great Guy Challenge that is coming up. It starts April 15th, so join in. If you're listening to this after that date, you can still sign up for it uh, in a little bit of a different way, so don't worry too much. And the best way to sign up for that is to go to my website, which is manifestyourlove.com and there's a link right there where you can sign up and join in the challenge. And how long is this challenge? This challenge is five days long and what we're going to do in the challenge is I am going to teach you how to identify commitment phobic men, men who are not looking for a relationship. I'm going to teach you how to get them out of your life and then I'm going to teach you how to identify commitment ready men and how to be the kind of woman that they're looking for. So it's a really packed challenge for only five days, but I think that it's absolutely critical that women know this information. So I'm out here giving it out. That's super amazing. I'm joining. Yay, <laughs> joining. I am joining. And I, everyone listening, you, you should definitely, definitely check out this challenge. I mean, it's free. I think that's amazing that you're giving us this gift. So thank you so, so much. Of course. I'm love to have everyone on this podcast join in. So I look forward to seeing you all in the challenge. Thank you so much for doing this with me. It's, it's, it's always such a pleasure talking with you. It's a pleasure talking with you too, Jackie. I'm so glad you invited me back. Thank you.
you so much again for tuning in to Stupid Wise Girl, the podcast. Please hit the subscribe button and leave a good rating and a review. I love you guys so much.